Good morning. Good to see you guys today. Hey, we're continuing our series, Stories Jesus Told. This is probably the longest series we've been in at Forest Park. I wanted to do a summer series, just kind of take, you know, most of June, July, August, not all of August, but June and July, and deal with these parables. So we're going to be here for the next couple of weeks, and then we're going to start a brand new series coming up in August. But we wanted to slow down and kind of go a little deeper in some of the stories that Jesus told. And I think uh, a lot of people are learning and growing, and it's been a, it's been a great series. Just kind of give you a heads up, though. We'll be here a couple more weeks, and then we're going to start something new. You know, as a young Christian, I experienced a bittersweet relationship with prayer. I grew up within a religious culture emphasizing prayer. So, you know, I heard many sermons on prayer, how to pray, hindrances to prayer, etc. And as I got older, I read book after book about prayer. I mean, I read all the classics. I read about great men and women of prayer and how, you know, many miracles were associated with prayer and how easily it is to become discouraged in prayer. I spoke with people dedicated to praying and who experienced a robust prayer life. But as for me, it remained bittersweet. Now, I won't cover all the reasons, but this will give you a window into how my mind works. When I finished the books, and I read many of them, when I finished listening to the sermons, and I heard a lot of them, when I finished interviewing people about prayer, and I talked to a lot of people about prayer, I couldn't shake the idea that though that through prayer, I, I was supposed to convince God to do what God wanted to do anyway. He, he wants to intervene in someone's life, but I, through praying, had to convince him to get involved in this person's life. And he wouldn't do it unless I prayed. I'm not saying this is correct, I'm saying this is how I thought. And he wouldn't do it unless I prayed. But even if I prayed and he didn't want to do it, my praying wouldn't change what he was going to do anyway. But I didn't know he wasn't going to do it, so I would just pray like he was going to do it. And I would pray more, and I would solicit more people to join me in prayer. And I would pray harder, and I would pray more fervently. But in the end, if God didn't want to do what He didn't want to do, He wasn't going to do it, no matter how much I prayed. And it was all kind of within this mysterious sovereignty of God. So it was just bittersweet to me. Anybody else experience prayer like that? Maybe I'm the only one that even thought that way. And you're all going, man, you really are weird. I don't know, but that, that was me. There's probably three or four of you that you don't want to lift your hand because it's like you're admitting that prayer was confusing to you. But more than likely, you know what I'm talking about. To me, prayer was a means to an end. If, if I pray, God will come through. If he doesn't come through, then I must have not prayed with enough faith. I gave up too early. I didn't have enough people praying with me. Or it wasn't according to his will. And this view of prayer greatly affected my image of God. And it hindered my image of God, and it hurt my image of God, because I couldn't trust God, based on how I saw prayer, I couldn't trust God to act as a father. Because no father would make his kid ask, and ask, and ask, and then still not give it to him if his kid didn't ask the right way. Or because his kid asked for something selfish. Or because his kid didn't get more kids to ask. And no father would refuse to give his kid what his kid asked for 
and never explained why. Just leave his kid to wonder for the rest of his life. It was just all bitter sweet. And today's parable is one of the reasons I was confused. Not that the parable confused me, but the way the parable was presented to me, and I've heard the parable I'm going to give you in just a moment. I heard it a hundred times growing up. And the way the parable was presented to me is what confused me about prayer and why I struggled so much with my view of who God is. Now, let's, let's go to the parable, and you're going to see what I mean, okay? I'm just going to read the parable to you, and then we're going to take this a little bit different direction. This comes from Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 2. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, Jesus, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give justice quickly. All right. I begin today's teaching differently than I did with the other parables. And here's, here's how I want to do it. I want to begin with an incomplete interpretation and application of this parable. In other words, from my perspective, here's not how to teach this parable. Okay? Now, before we get into it, I need to make a few introductory comments, because some of you are just joining us for today's message for the first time in this series. Others of you were asleep when I said this, and this, hopefully you'll be awake today. So, I want to give you some introductory comments about parables, okay? Remember, and if you've been with us, you'll remember this, so this will be a refresher. Remember, parables communicate one overall idea, not five ideas, not ten ideas, one overall idea. Number two, the idea communicated is typically shocking, unnerving, upending, leaving the audience perplexed, asking questions, wondering what to do next. That's the point of the parable. Number three, the shocking, unnerving, upending idea most often reveals the heart and character of God or the nature of his kingdom. All right? And then there's the fourth, fourth idea. This is the last one. How I'm going to present this parable today is going to be different than you've probably ever heard it uh, excuse me, presented before. But I don't know how else to present it and actually believe it's correct. It'll be a little controversial, a little debatable, and some of you will not like it. And that's okay, because normal is overrated and boring anyway. All right? So, with all of that in mind, let's go to the common interpretation and application of this parable. If you've heard this parable explained before, or you've read it before and think you understand it, here is how it is often presented and understood. It is said to be a parable that is called a how much more parable, meaning that God is better than the unjust judge, 
And if the unjust judge in this parable is willing to give to the widow what she wants, then how much more will God give to his children? It's also common to say that this parable is a pray more parable, meaning that God responds to those who pray and pray and pray. So keep praying and God eventually will respond like the unjust judge eventually responded to the widow. And at the end of both approaches, it is about you and me praying, begging, waiting, praying, begging, waiting, and holding on to hope that God eventually will move on our behalf like the unjust judge eventually moved on behalf of the widow. The essence of the parable presented that way is God will answer our prayers if we don't quit. And then that's the end. But see, I just can't with that application. Nothing feels right to me about this. Because here, here's my question, okay? What if he doesn't answer my requests? Well, I mean, if he doesn't, then I don't know, Scott. I guess it's just a mystery. I guess your requests weren't within the sovereign will of God. Well, then why teach keep on praying? Because if it's not according to his will and he's not going to answer it anyway, then why do I pray and pray and keep on praying and pray and pray and keep on praying and pray and pray and keep on praying? Because if it's not what he's going to do, it's not what he's going to do. It doesn't seem to matter how much I pray. And as should be obvious, this application points to an incomplete, what I think, and damaging view of God's character. Now just follow with me. We're going to get back to the verse in a minute. I'm going to do my best to explain it. This application that I just gave you, this interpretation I gave you, makes God look, and this is how I grew up, okay? It makes God look like someone who must be convinced to help. He doesn't want to help but through wearing him down, he gives in and he grants the request. Here's my question. Is that who God is? Is God this being who really doesn't necessarily want to help, but you pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and eventually he goes, fine, like the unjust judge, I'll help you. Is that who God is? Is that how you see God? Do you view, I did. Because of parables like this and the way it was presented, that's how I saw God. So a lot of my praying in church was, hello God, God, hello God, hear me out, God, I've got these needs, I've got these things. Hopefully, if I could somehow add enough of my prayers up, it'll kind of, you know, kind of tally up. And eventually, I don't know if you've, some of you are old enough to remember the game. You know, people don't seem to play board games anymore. But the game, remember Spill the Beans, if you remember that? There was those little buckets, and if you added enough, and you eventually got enough in one of the little uh, buckets or whatever it was, it would tilt. And all the beans would pour out, and you didn't want to, you know, spill the beans. Man, that's kind of like prayer. You pray once, and it's one bean. You pray two, it's another prayer. You pray three, it's another prayer. You pray four, it's another bean. And eventually, you'll get enough prayers, and then God will go, fine, you get what you want. So it makes God look like someone who doesn't really want to help, but if you just keep on praying, he will. Then prayer becomes a way of getting from God what you want, and enough prayer eventually turns the tide. 
And at the end of the story, the only real lesson is keep praying. And hopefully, eventually, God will come through. Now, folks, I'll tell you straight up, if that's the way you want to see it, have at it. Millions of people see it that way, but I don't. For years, that's how I saw it. And I would come into church, and I would hopefully add enough beans to that side, and eventually it would spill over, and I would get what I want. Well, Scott, how else can one see it? I mean, isn't that kind of what Luke says it's about, to keep praying and don't, you know, don't fail in your prayer? Yes. Luke does comment on the parable before he even gets to it. In verse 1 it actually says he said this to encourage people to keep praying. Yes, yes, yes. He, he does make it sound that way. But here are a couple challenges with Luke's view. Just listen to this. We read into Luke's comments our modern Western ways of praying. We think when Luke says that Jesus gave this peril to, keep, to encourage us to keep praying, that we think it means pray for good things that we want to happen, and if you don't get them, keep on praying, and eventually you will. But you've got to realize that that's our Western way of thinking about prayer. It's very small, our little ways of thinking about prayer. Luke was referencing praying for overall justice and vindication for God's people. Huge prayers affecting generations of people and God ultimately fulfilling His promises to the nation of Israel and His overall will that will be done across all generations. And we were, He was encouraging His people to keep praying for the big things to be done. Luke had no idea of this concept of praying like, you know, I really want to go out with that guy, but he's not calling. So I probably need to keep praying and hopefully God will soften the guy's heart and he'll call me and then we'll go out on a date. That is not the idea of prayer Luke had in mind. Luke didn't have the idea of, you know, I'm just going to keep praying for this promotion on my job because if I could get that promotion, then I could get that bigger house. And if I got the bigger house, we could get the pool. And then if we get the pool, man, we would be like the envy of the whole neighborhood. So God, please, 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 I tithe and I give. Will you help me get the raise? That's not at all the concept of prayer Luke had in mind when he talks about this. Luke's concept of prayer was much bigger and less self-focused. He was encouraging people to pray for ultimate restoration and healing and fulfilled promises and prophecies that might take years, that might take generations to come to pass. So don't quit believing, don't quit trusting. God's going to turn all of this around. Big ideas, big prayers. Number two, we assume Luke's comments about the parable is all that the parable is teaching. It does teach don't quit praying for God to come through when it looks like He's not, but it also conveys a much larger idea. And this much larger idea is where I'm going to spend time. All of that's introduction, okay? So you're going to be here all afternoon. I just want you to know that, okay? All of that's introduction. Now we're going to get into the 21 different points that I want to make. I'm just kidding. It's not true. I'm indebted to a lot of people who understand parables much better than me. And I just want you to know when I come here, I read through book after book, behind scholar after scholar, pastor after pastor to make sure that I have a firm grasp on these parables before I bring them to you. And today's parable was one of the most difficult ones for me to really get my head around and my heart around. 
because I knew it meant more than just keep praying the way that I've described at the whole beginning of this message today. Remember parables, as I said again, are shocking, unnerving, upending paradoxes. They teach one huge idea that sets the hearers who listen to it on edge and leaves them asking questions. If the only thing Jesus wanted to teach us in this parable was keep praying, he certainly could have done so using different characters than an unjust judge and a justice-seeking widow, but he didn't. He chose two interesting, unique, and in the case of the unjust judge, offensive characters. Why? Because he is communicating something bigger and deeper and more interesting than just keep praying. But what is that thing? And this is where the writings of Robert Capon came to the rescue for me. I've read so many different people. His take on the parable is probably the best I've ever read. So let's go back to this parable and let's run at it from a different angle. Okay? All right. Now we're going to get to the parable. There's two characters in the parable. There's a judge. There's a judge. This is not a normal judge. Listen to how the judge is described. Got to follow this. In a certain city, here it is, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in the case of my adversary. For a while, here, here it is, here's the judge again, he refused but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. Come on, what a rude, unfair, and unjust judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect people, and he is bothered by this widow requesting help. He gives her what she requests because he considers her a pest, a nuisance, a hassle. That's the first character of the parable. Second character is a widow. Here's how she's described. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him, kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. A better way of reading this would be a widow wants vengeance on her enemy and she won't stop asking for it until she gets it. Very important you see this. She isn't interested in granting forgiveness to her enemy, nor turning the other cheek, nor dropping the charges. She wants her enemy to pay, and she wants the judge to make it happen. And she is going to confront that judge day after day until he gives her what she wants. She's going to visit his house. She's going to stalk his job. She's going to call his phone. She's going to post on his Facebook page. She's going to snoop on his Instagram. She's going to follow him to the coffee shop. She is going to pester him, bother him, ask him, plead with him. In fact, the Greek word used to describe what she does to this judge is she beats him up. She does violence to him. She gives him a black eye. That's what it means to bother me day after day. 
It literally means to do violence to me. That's how her constant request feels to the judge. So finally, this distracted, uncaring, uninterested judge gives her what she wants here to shut her up. And here is the first shocking, unnerving, upending part of this parable. This judge, according to Jesus, represents God. And the pestering, bothersome, obnoxious widow is you and me. Now, how in the world, why in the world, would Jesus paint an image of his father God as unjust and unfair? I mean, isn't God the father fair? I mean, isn't the eternal God just? Well, Jesus strips God in this parable of all the normal ways of treating people in a just way and presents him in this parable as an unfair, unjust being. Why? This is so interesting. Because that is exactly who we want God to be. That's who we need God to be. Just follow. If God were just all the time from our perspective... And if he were fair in every way, we might be in trouble. Same thing with fairness, right? I mean, come on. Okay, let's just, let's just pause and let's just get down to it, okay? Let's just get down to where we live. Who really, and you can lift your hand if you want, who really wants God to be fair? Really? Do you think, let me ask you this question, if you want God to be fair, do you think that it's fair that our country has experienced decades of prosperity and wealth and technological growth and protection and abundance of food and clean water and peace while so many other countries suffer war and unimaginable pain and disease and starvation? Do you really want God to be fair around this world? Not really. I mean, you, here, let's just follow me. You probably have done some things that you don't want people to know, right? But fair would be exposure of your secrets. Because you see, everybody ought to know who you really are before they get into a relationship with you. So fair would be to expose everything in your life, every sin, every dark secret, everything, so that the people getting into a relationship with you would know the real you. How fair do you want things to be? What about when you do something wrong and get away with it? Most of you say, thank you, God. Interesting, isn't it? Because that's not fair. In fact, that's not even just that you got away with it because other people have done the same thing you've done and they're in jail. Some people have done the same thing you've done and got a ticket. But you somehow thank God when you get out of it and somebody else gets what's coming then. How about justice? 
you're speeding and you get pulled over. Some of you engage your prayer life immediately when those lights come on in your rearview mirror and you're like, oh God, God, please, okay, okay, I promise I won't speed again. I know I shouldn't have been speeding. Just get me out of this. Please just give me a warning. And the officer gives you a warning. And what's one of the first things you say? Thank you, God. But yet you just said you want God to be just. <laughs> See, what we want isn't fairness. What we want isn't justice. What we want is mercy. That's what we want. Not fairness, not justice, compassion. We want God who will overlook our stupid decisions, our carnal passions, our silly behaviors. Not a just God who makes sure we get what's coming to us. Typically, we want other people to get what's coming to them. We want, God, give me one more chance. That's not fair. That's not just. That's not what you want. Let's be honest, okay? If all of us got what's coming to us, a lot of us wouldn't be here, would we? Because there's some of you sitting in this room, if you would have got what was coming to you 10 years ago, your life would be a whole different than it is today. Somewhere back there at that crossroads, God was merciful to you. He was gracious to you. You got out of that mess, and you're here today. Then we say, God, be just, be fair on other people. Not me. I need your mercy. I need your compassion. I need you to get me out of this. So Jesus, you've got to follow. I know you've got to think about all this, but I'm just throwing these out there. You can throw them right back if you want to. That's fine. I'm pretty good at dodging. Jesus depicts God in this parable as an unjust judge who doesn't give the widow what she deserves, but rather gives her what she wants, exactly the kind of God we all need. Remember, a parable flips everything upside down. A parable unnerves you. A parable grabs you and makes you look at things like you've never seen them before. And the widow in this story is us. How so? Well, she lost her identity when her husband died. She lost the only life she knew. It all ended when he went into the ground. And now she is left begging and pleading her case, defending herself, crying out for justice. And this woman who lost her identity, lost her future, lost her connections, lost her livelihood, comes to this, what appears to her to be unjust, unfair judge, and makes a ridiculous request. Say, what what, what do you mean ridiculous request? Here's her prayer. If you expand it out, here's what she's asking the judge to do. Take vengeance on my enemy. Give him what he deserves. Pour down wrath upon him. Make him pay for his sins. Don't let him get away with what he's done for me or what he's doing. Give me a win in this case against my enemy. That's us, isn't it? We make every imaginable excuse for the things going on in our lives. Okay, God, here's, here, let me just kind of take her prayer and just kind of put it in 2022 in some of the language that we might use. It, it would sound something like this. 
Okay, God, <clears throat> here's my prayer. Okay, here, here's what's going on, okay? Okay, you see her over there? That lady over there? Okay. She's the real problem, all right? And she needs to receive justice, okay? And that guy over there, if it were not for him, I would be so much better in my life. He does not deserve the blessings in his life. And, and my employer, God, is such a jerk. God, let him know what a good employee I am. I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm trying. She's not perfect. She doesn't even seem to care about you. God, hello? Here comes the pastoring. Are you listening? Listen to me, God. Hello, God. Next day, God, give me justice here. God, come on. Pour it out on them. Give me a break. Oh, and another thing, God. I'm so sorry for all the bad things I've done. Please forgive me. I will try to do better. Also, God, while I'm at it, will you please heal my friend and my father and my dog? And one more thing. Will you give me a raise? Because the economy right now is really tough. Hello, God, remember my employer, remember my friend, my, my dog, Re remember the raise, don't forget me, I need a blessing. God, hello, are you listening? God, hello. The widow troubled the judge day after day after day. Now listen, Jesus is not teaching through this parable that we are to keep nagging God like the widow. And eventually he will respond and eventually he'll come through. So just keep on keeping on. Just keep on praying. Just keep on agging on. Just keep on begging. Just keep on playing, praying. No. The better way to understand this parable is Jesus is showing us what it sounds like when we keep on our incessant praying, negotiating, begging nonstop. See, I need a scripture before I believe that. Okay. Matthew 6. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do, they think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Isn't that exactly what the widow did? So there is no way that Jesus is now teaching us to keep on praying with many words. And eventually, if you'll add up your words, you'll tilt God in your favor. That's not what he's teaching. Let's go a little deeper, shall we? Sure. We love to go deeper, Scott. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what I'm doing. Isaiah 1. This is what God says to his people in Isaiah. You want to talk about how God gets fed up with prayer? Listen to this. What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with entirely burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come and appear before me, you ask this. Who asked this from you? I didn't. That's what he's saying. I didn't ask all that stuff from you. Who asked all this from you? This trampling on my temple courts. Watch this. 
stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly. I can't stand wickedness and celebration. I hate your new moons and your festivals. They've become a burden that I'm tired of bearing. (laughs) When you extend your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash. Be clean. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Watch this. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Interesting. The widow in Isaiah. The widow in Luke 18. The judge is fed up. It all comes together. God is saying in this verse that his people has become just a bunch of nagging, begging, pleading people, and he's fed up with all the praying. This is like the judge in this parable. He's tired, he's fed up, he's exhausted from all the wearing praying and begging and nagging and pleading. And he finally gives what we need, but not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, not because our prayers wore him down. He gave it because he chose to. This woman didn't wear him down. He gave her what she needed because he is a gracious father. So in the end... He gives us what, what we ask for, but not for the reasons we think. Let me see if I can say it better. Scott, I know why she got what she wanted in the parable. She prayed through. No. No. She got what she wanted because he came through, despite her boring, meaningless, unjustified requests, i.e. prayers. She probably didn't even have a case The judge was fed up with her constant complaining. But even in the middle of her whining and begging and pleading, he grants her what she wants. So that doesn't make sense. In the middle of her complaining and begging and pleading, he grants her what she wants. Why does he do it in the middle of her nagging and complaining and begging? (laughs) Romans 5, hey, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us what we truly wanted, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, even though we didn't have a case. Let me see if I can explain it even differently. The prodigal son in Luke 15, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The prodigal son does everything wrong. He wastes all his money. He goes out into a country long away, spends everything, wastes everything, comes home broken. And what does he come home and say to the father, a rehearsed prayer? A rehearsed prayer. Luke 15. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. The father ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And just like this widow, the prodigal son started his case, his prayer to his father. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. And the father God ignored the request of his son and gave him what he needed in spite of his ridiculous prayers. Listen, the older brother in Luke 15 called his father unjust. He did. 
He said, how, how can you do this? How, how can you treat this older, this, this younger son, the one who goes out and wastes everything? How, how, can you, how can you bless him? He doesn't even fear you. And you're, you're, you're not even being just. If you, if you feared God, Dad, if you really cared about justice and fairness, you wouldn't throw a party for this younger son. The same thing going on in the unjust judge and the justice-seeking widow. To the older brother in Luke 15, the father was unjust. To the younger prodigal son, the father was merciful. All right, big ideas. Let me see if I can bring it down and put it on your lap. In this parable, God is willing to be looked at as unjust to give us what we need. Not because we made a good case, not because we convinced him, not because we won, but because he's merciful and compassionate. You see, God finds the lost whether they ever admit they're lost. God raises the dead whether they ever admit they're dead or not. In fact, the dead person can't even admit they're dead. They're just dead. It's not because our silly promises and sacrifices and long prayers and passionate cries convinces God of anything. If it does cause him to do anything, it's because he is fed up with all of our religious cliches and platitudes and we wear him out. And so does many of our endless, boring, monotonous, meaningless church services. Sometimes I think we just add on and add on and add on because we think if we do services five days in a row that somehow we'll tilt God in our favor. If we sing our favorite song 20 times in a row, we'll tilt God in our favor. If we pray with our hands up, we'll get the prayer answered faster than if we pray with our hands down. And if we can squeeze a tear or two out, that'll really get God moving in our favor. All of that stuff is like the un- like the widow who is seeking justice through her meaningless and endless prayers. This parable that Jesus gives in Luke 18 is helping us to see that this silly game that we play, thinking that God is this fair, just God, please don't go out of here saying God is not just and He's not fair. It's a perception thing. That this whole game of thinking that God is just and fair, and I'm this person down here that's praying and praying and praying, and if I pray, 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 He'll move in my favor. This whole game called religion is over. It's over. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? And he said, it is finished. That whole game is finished. In fact, when you experience grace, and you experience forgiveness, and you experience mercy, God is no longer fair. He's no longer just. He's just merciful. He's just unimaginably loving and graceful. And you are so thankful he's not fair. You're so thankful he's not just. And you realize the whole time you've been like that widow with your silly, ridiculous, God, give me vengeance on my enemy. And God's like, I'm so sick of all that stuff. Stop all your incessant praying and begging and pleading and trying to twist my arm 
through religion. All our pleading and promising and begging sounds to the ears of God like the widow sounded to the judge. And God granting the requests of someone who had no sound case sounds to the ears of the religious people like this unjust judge sounded to the widow. See, now, 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 now the story is shocking, isn't it? See, now the parable is unnerving. Now it's upending. Now it's making you see God and yourself and other people differently than you've ever seen it before because you thought that God was this just, fair God and all you had to do was, was, was convince Him to move in your life through your religious platitudes and eventually He would. So you beg and beg and beg and plead and plead and plead and cry and cry and cry and worship, worship, worship. Why don't you just go ahead and take a rock and just cut your arm and let blood come out and maybe that will appease Him. That's Isaiah 1. All your bulls and sacrifices. I don't want any of that stuff. I never did. Anybody tracking me or am I just crazy today? Say, okay, three or four of you, great. The rest of you are going to stone me when I walk out. All right. Go ahead, all of us widows, and cry out to God. He hears you. And He will answer you. But not the way you think. And not because you wore him down, but because he's merciful. He's always been merciful. He always will be merciful. You're not twisting his arm. You're not begging him until he moves. And then the parable ends with this question, and we got to go, because I, I could be here a long time. It ends with this question. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? And then it just stops. The whole parable just ends. See how, see how it just doesn't bring it down to this conclusion? See, we all want, just give me three things. Just, just, tell, just tell me what to do. I just want to know what to do. He just asks a question and then the whole parable's over. What an interesting way to end. There's no call to action here. There, there, there's no do this or do that. But rather it's a question for you to think about. It's almost like he's saying this. Despite the good news that I just gave you, that God isn't just and fair the way you think he is. Despite the good news that I just gave you, that this unfit, confused, broken widow that represents us gets what she wants, not because she twists God's arm, but because God's merciful. Even though I just gave you all this good news, will you believe it? Am I going to find anybody faithful enough to hold on to that good news and believe it? And the implied answer at the end of that parable is basically, no, probably not. Because you see, we somehow still think that all of this and singing and praying and everything else somehow twists God's arm. We still think somehow our long, boring, emotional prayers change God. We still like thinking that we want justice and fairness when we don't. But we like it. It fits into our religious little compartments. See, we don't like... Listen, and I'm, I'm closing. I'm getting you out of here, I promise. When I'm finished, you're, you're, you can leave. Until then, the doors are locked. <laughs> if you're a guest, I'm kidding. We don't like a dead, rising God. 
We don't like a God who says it's all over. I'm taking care of it all. We don't like that. We like piety rules and godly systems and strict religion and moral ladders because we can judge where we are and I can judge where you are. We don't, we don't do well with a dying God who says it's finished. There's too much peace in that. And I've been a religious person all my life and somehow we are addicted to turmoil. We always like to believe that everything is just in a stress all the time. There's not enough for me in that to do. Religious people like to do stuff. We like to believe that somehow we're convincing God to do things. And there's no teeth in this. And we like teeth because teeth bite. We like, we like to bite people with judgment. So Scott, what do I do? I say, I say live in a constant state of gratefulness and generosity and peace and joy and revel in the fact your father isn't fair. He is so much better than fair. And go and do good things for other people. Love, 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 knowing that you are in good hands. What about prayer? Man, live in a constant state of prayer. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't you ever stop praying. Fix your heart and fix your mind on the things God cares about and long for the things God longs for, which is healing and deliverance and freedom for others. It's love and joy and peace for this world. Never stop longing for it. Never stop believing for it. Never stop hungering for it. And get in involved in anything you can to make those longings become a reality. Now that, my friend, is prayer. That's what I want to see. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you've not been fair in my life. I thank you that sometimes it has appeared in my life as if you didn't even listen to me. That you were like that unjust judge and I was like the widow begging and begging and begging and you didn't even pay attention to me. I thank you for that. Why? Because it rooted me out of so much religion. It rooted me out of so many ways of thinking that somehow I controlled you. That somehow I could with my platitudes and my long prayers and my twisting and wreathing in front of you and cutting myself be like those who worship idols. And somehow I thought that I could make you move on my behalf. And God, sometimes your silence in my life and your appearing to me to be unjust has caused me to realize that it's not about that silly game. When you said it is finished, you meant it. And when you came out of the tomb, I came out with you. And I don't have to beg and plead and twist your arm. I can rest in your goodness. I can rest in your mercy. I can rest in your 
kindness. I can rest in your love. I can rest in your forgiveness. And I can run to the ends of the earth and let everybody else know the good news. That you are not like that. And you don't play that silly game. And we don't have to beg and plead and beg and plead and beg and plead until somehow we wear you down. You'll give us what we need. But it won't be because we convinced you of it. You'll give what we need because you are merciful and you are gracious. That's who you are. Help us see it. Help us live it every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.